The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ROSS. That's code ROSS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Oh, yeah, it is. But it's not just any Ross Tucker Football Podcast. It is a Wisdom Wednesday presented by DraftKings, and we are getting wisdom from a longtime NFL punter on multiple levels. Number one, about punting. Number two, we're going to learn about maybe the closest I ever saw a guy I played with to suffering a catastrophic life-altering injury. You'll hear about that. Plus, he's got a really, really cool business going. Talking about my former teammate from my rookie year, Brian Barker. In an interview we actually recorded a while ago, which is why today is audio only because we recorded this interview with Brian Barker before we had the YouTube page, youtube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. We'll have the last Ross Tucker football podcast of the week on Friday, which is when we'll have a spread the word winner at Ross Tucker NFL, at Ross Tucker pod, engage in any way. We'll have a sponsor confirmation email winner. Maybe it's even somebody that gets Raycon earbuds. More on that in a little bit and then the youtube shout out which i love because i love growing the youtube channel youtube.com slash ross tucker nfl right now though it's big show time the big show so i don't know if i've told the story before and i don't even know if i've told today's guest this story before but there were two things that blew me away at my first NFL minicamp ever in April of 2001, a week after the NFL draft. I was still six weeks away from graduating from Princeton, and I'm at minicamp, and the two things I could not believe, number one, I kept hearing this whistling noise. I couldn't figure out what it was. It was... Every time Jeff George threw a football, it would whistle with the tight spiral through the air. And the other thing was the sound the football made when Brian Barker punted it and how high it went. And that's one of the reasons 
why I wanted to bring on former teammate Brian Barker. 16 years in the NFL as a punter from 1990 through 2005. Jacksonville, Kansas City, the Redskins, the Packers, the Eagles, and the St. Louis Rams. Brian, it's the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Appreciate having you on the show. Hey, uh, I'm I'm happy to be here. Great to talk. So to you. here's the deal, man. You know, you might have a guy in high school that averages 40 yards a punt or close to it, and in college, we actually had a pretty good punter at Princeton. He was the All Ivy League punter, but I don't think people, unless you've been to an NFL game or you've seen the ball come off the foot of an NFL punter really realize how different it is and how much all 40-yard averages are not created equal. True. Absolutely true. I I think uh, when I speak to kids and ask, you know, I tell them I average 50 yards a punt, how how long did I kick the ball? They all say 50. They don't realize that we actually kick it 10 yards further on every punt because we – never get credit for where we strike the ball. We're, t- we're usually about 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage, and we only get credit for the line of scrimmage to where the ball is caught or, or ends up. So uh, that's a trivia question most kids and a lot of adults don't get. If, if my longest punt in the NFL was 83 yards on Monday Night Football, I actually had it go 93 yards but only get credit for those first 83. That's a great point that I literally never thought of in my entire life, my mind is blown. They give the kickers credit for it, but they don't give the punters credit for it. Correct. The kickers get credit all the way to the back of the end zone. We we lose credit at the goal line. <laughs> wow. My mind is blown right now, by the way. But my point, my point really, Brian, was that I think you guys – punt it so much higher and it stays in the air so much longer than like high school kids or even a lot of college guys realize. Yeah, I, I, you're, you're right about that. And at the same time, every level up, as you've seen, the guys get bigger, stronger, and much faster. So there is a definite need for more hang time at the professional level because uh, the guys are so quick that you you need to give them time to to make the adjustments to hopefully corral that returner. All right, so I want to get a couple more punting questions in before we get to the worst broken nose in the history of professional football, um, which is an unbelievable story. But let's one, another punting question I had for you: different coaches different philosophies whether that is punt it as far as you can punt it as high as you can I just want hang time and I want the net punt it from the hash marks outside I want you to punt it out of bounds in your 16 years how many different philosophies did you have to deal with with special teams coaches? 
I think you you touched on a few. The first and foremost, they all uh, nobody wants a blocked punt. So first philosophy that I think everybody adopts is get it off quick. You, know, you don't you do not a blocked punt is is as bad as any other turnover. Uh, but the main ones, as you mentioned, are blast it. You know, give us some distance. Try and flip the field. Uh, sometimes that doesn't mean hang time. Sometimes you want to just drill the ball low, fast, and far, and the returner doesn't have a chance to get to it. Uh, the other philosophy that was real popular during my career was to kick the ball to the sidelines. Some coaches called it kicking outside the numbers. And the, the, the thought was if you can limit which direction they're going to go, you'll have more success covering the punt. That's actually one of the most difficult things to do is kick directionally. And I'm sure you remember your math days, but if a coach says, why can't you just kick the ball 40 yards out of bounds every time? I mean, you can kick the ball 40 yards, right? What they don't realize is that A squared, if you do a little of mathematics there, from the middle of the field to the sideline in a straight line, it's actually to get 40 yards, you got to kick it almost 47 yards every time. And if somebody were to hit the ball out of bounds 47 yards every time, they'd be the greatest punter in the history of the NFL. So not exactly as simple as it sounds. And then uh, we've got the new uh, strategy, I guess, kick the ball high, almost uh, that Aussie rules punt. Looks like a kickoff. It floats up there and uh, really no no opportunities for, for a return. They can actually kick those pretty far these days, much farther than we did when I was in the league. Wow. That Yeah, it's uh, – what do you think about like the rugby-style punts, about all the Aus- Australian guys? Like what, what jumps out at you about where punting is now? Well, it's, it's – there's no other position statistically that has such a, a huge, um, I guess, improvement over the last 10 years. When I played, nobody had ever netted 40 yards a punt for a season. It was sort of the, the golden goose everybody was chasing. A lot of guys were in the 39s. I got close one year. But nobody had ne- ever netted 40 yards, meaning after the punt and the return, you know, what was the net total distance. Today, guys are netting 50 yards a punt for a season. And if you're not netting 40, you're probably not in the league or you're in the, bat, you're in the bottom five. So the guys are kicking the ball higher, farther, uh, better hang time, better net. It's, it's amazing. And uh, we as former punters actually recognized uh, uh, that during the, we gave an award to Johnny Hecker uh, when he netted 50 I mean, I'm sorry, he averaged over 50, netted 40, and had over 40 inside the 20 punts, which had never been done before. So it's it's fantastic. I love it. I think the uh, Aussie punts are, are very strategic, and uh, I think it brings great competition. Fun to watch. Yeah, what what do you attribute, like, the, the growth and the improvement to? Uh, I, you know, I just – I think that when I played – it was an era of, uh, you know, we played every sport. Whatever the season was, we played that. We had after-school sports. We, uh, there was no distraction with social media, with Internet. You know, video games had, had really just come on the scene, and they were pretty basic. So we, we just played our sports, and there was no real specialty. Uh, as, as my career unfolded and, and then the next generation came along, there seemed to be a lot of special 
specialization. You know, you have travel baseball, you have travel soccer, uh, coaches and, and institutions telling kids, we, we don't want you to play both sports. You've got to commit to one or the other. So maybe it's just that specialization. Kids going to kicking camp since they were young uh, certainly has helped, I'm sure. You know, one of the other things I remember, Brian, is that as a rookie, my roommate for the off-season and training camp was, I think his name was Dan France, maybe. Uh, he was one yeah. of my two roommates, and he was like uh, the backup kicker and backup punter, probably really like a camp leg for you and Conway to not have to take every rep. But I remember him talking about you know, how regimented you were with your body and how you would talk about your body being your temple. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were one of the first guys that really ate really healthy. I remember you would like do sprints and stuff and stay in unbelievable shape. I remember thinking like, does this guy realize he's the punter? <laughs> like he's the punter. Yeah. But you were you were always so fit. Where did that come from? And were you one of the first guys that really did that? I don't know if I was the first uh, or even one of the first. I, I was first and foremost blessed with genetics. My father was a distance runner. And again, like I said, we played whatever sport there was during the season. So I was always doing something, um, which was probably a great beginning to my athletic career. And then I, I was really lucky. It took me four years out of college to finally get in the NFL. I was 26 when I was a rookie with Kansas City. And at that time, because my history with athletics and distance running, you know, I'd run five miles a day. And the strength coach for the Chiefs, uh, Dave Redman, Dave Redding, we, uh, we call Redman, he, he came to me and said, listen, Barker, you got, distance does you no good. You know, you're, you're just wearing your body out if you want to have a long career. You got to you got to cut out the distance running. You don't need endurance to punt a football. And uh, he really started me on the fast twitch, explosive type exercises, running hills, running stairs, running sprints, because that's what a punt was. It was explosive. I think that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And I just took that philosophy, that approach. Each year, as you know, somebody tries to take your job, and uh, I saw working hard kicking more than anybody else could kick because because I did work hard uh, would give me a leg up, no pun intended, on, on beating the competition. Um, I also wanted to get into uh, what I mentioned earlier, and it is the worst broken nose in NFL history. And hopefully when we post this show, because this is – uh, a podcast that we are, an interview we're doing a little earlier and then posting it as an evergreen, you know, when Brian or I are away or whatever. Um, hopefully we use that image because there is an image on the internet of the worst broken nose I've ever seen. And it happened to you and it happened in a game I was involved in. It was actually a month after I was no longer your teammate. I got cut by the Redskins, picked up on waivers by the Cowboys, and started on Thanksgiving against you with the Redskins. And on Thanksgiving Day, where all the family members are watching, you got the worst broken nose I've ever seen. 
Can you walk us through that story again? Because I know a lot of people are going to see the image that we post on social media, and they want to hear that story. Well, you're right. It was Thanksgiving, but it was more than just families sitting down watching the game. I think they were shoveling food in their mouth at the time, and uh, there might have been a bunch of turkey that came back to the plate, <laughs> so to speak. Um, it was just it was a regular field goal. Uh, I was the holder for my entire career for the kickers, and this was uh, no difference. And uh, I think James Tuthill was the kicker for us, probably our fourth kicker that year. I caught the snap, put it down. It was a good snap, good hold, and the kick was blocked. Um, as the ball was scooped up by a Dallas Cowboy, and I, I don't even remember who it would have been, our team was chasing him down. He was tackled. Uh, I was a step behind. The ball was came out. And he was stripped and when he was tackled. The ball came out spinning on the midfield, I think the Texas star. And I just fell on it. And then the whole pile jumped on top of me. Um, during that commotion, somehow, I think with my head sideways, which is kind of an odd place to be, I took a shot to my nose. And uh, if I would have, I, I know if my head was, straight up and down it probably wouldn't have got to me i didn't have the biggest face mask but it it still was a face mask all i felt was pressure uh it didn't hurt i just felt pressure um i obviously then i felt the you know the bleeding and my first thought was man i don't want him to cut my helmet off because then i won't have a helmet for the rest of the game i had no idea how bad it was so i took my helmet off before i walked to the sideline figuring that I would avoid that scenario. And apparently that sideline camera while people were eating their turkey zoomed in on my face. And I waited to see the reactions of the, uh, the training staff and, and got that look of horror. One of the, one of the trainers came running out with a towel, plugged my, put it right over my face and walked me to the sideline, um, sat me down and, and I, I had a mouthful of blood. I had to just, I had to exhale, blow all that stuff out of my mouth. He had tan pants on looked down and said, what the hell are you doing? And then got the call that we had two more injuries on the field on the following, uh, following play. So they took off, left me on the sidelines with a towel on my face. Uh, I didn't feel it. All I thought was, you know, I got a broken nose. Let's put a piece of tape on it and go back out there. And of course it was much worse than that. So what, what ended up happening? They, uh, I wanted to walk off the field. They said, you know, uh, we got to take you on the cart. And uh, you're going to the hospital. They wouldn't tell me why. Uh, this was right after uh, September 11, 2001. And so they had armored vehicles in the tunnels to block any, I guess, attacks that may or may not happen. And our ambulance, we couldn't leave because the armored vehicle had a dead battery. So I sat in the back of the ambulance watching the Cowboys and the Redskins play, holding a towel to my face starting to feel around and realize that uh, it was it was a pretty bad situation. They took me to the hospital that Kennedy was taken to. They did uh, MRIs and ultrasounds and everything else. Um, I was still in my uniform and still hadn't seen my face, but didn't feel it. Just felt pressure, knew that there was you know, blood everywhere. And uh, the staff would walk by the window of the room that I was in nonchalantly uh, and then peek in there, and the look of horror on their face just told me that this was not going to be very good. 
but uh, eventually I had the best surgeon in the world who happened to be in Dallas. He came, saw me that night and actually did the surgery that night. He thought he'd have to do three, but he did one. And I'm not kidding you. Two weeks later, it looked like nothing ever happened to me. Uh, so was, I was very blessed. Uh, ironically, it was my 13th season. It was the 13th game of that 13th season. We had just had our 13th inside the 20 punt. And of course, uh, I, some would say it was the most unlucky thing that ever happened to me, but I was pretty lucky. They said that, uh, I could have been the first NFL player to die on the football field. When you, when you take a shot to the nose like that, it gets, uh, gets pretty dicey. Wow, man. That I don't know how is... graphic. I don't know how graphic you want me to get, you know, with the. No, 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 was, that's okay. It's pretty bad. <laughs> I've, I've seen like the born identity and stuff. I've seen what can happen when the nose goes back up. Um, that is crazy. What about, um, what are you doing now, Brian? Oh, I've been, uh, it's been a great career. I can't believe I've been out of the NFL longer than I played in it. And, uh, you know, I'm a, the coordinator of the alumni here in Jacksonville as an original Jaguar player and the oldest former Jaguar player. I started the Jaguars ambassadors program, uh, living at the beach, having a good life. I've been working a few things, been in the insurance industry for a while. And, uh, currently, uh, in addition to that, I'm working with a group called brand armor. Uh, I've just, as, as a professional athlete, as a parent of a, have high school athletes and and collegiate athletes. Uh, I'm very concerned about what's going on with social media and and this culture of cancel and uh, you know you think of all the time and effort that parents and families and and the athletes put in to try and get scholarships and and then at the collegiate level the effort and and time they put in to try and get to the professional level it just sucks to see somebody's path just submarined with something that they did long ago that resurfaces and embarrasses not only the family, the athlete, but also the institution. So we're really uh, excited about what we're doing. We've had some great feedback and it was great to see you at that football conference, that coaches football conference up in Nashville. So what, just uh, quickly, what do you guys do with the brand armor? You know, there have been so many guys, you know, with the draft and Josh Allen and, all these different players that they go back and they find these insensitive tweets. Is that what you guys do? Try to find those tweets and, and get rid of them? Yeah, that's one of the things we do. Uh, I, I guess real quickly who we are. Uh, we are a group with 30 plus years uh, of executive leadership when it comes to social media and specifically digital investigative expertise, mostly in the corporate space, corporate legal um, when I met them, we started talking about how, you know, we really need to, to take the same approach for athletes and, and, and just people in general. I mean, not just the athletes, the coaches, um, because it, an embarrassing situation can really hurt the reputation of, of, of the athlete, the family, and also think of a major university, you know, how much time and effort and money goes into recruiting these kids only to have one embarrass them or, or. Uh, put a stain on the institution's brand. So essentially, we're we're as a group of you know digital investigative uh, experts. We we are protecting the brand of the institution, the individuals. Um, it can help. It can help an institution with their you know narrow their recruiting focus based on culture fit, 
how, how do you know these kids that you're recruiting spend all this time and money on don't have something out there that is going to reflect poorly on you making that decision to give them a scholarship? Um, so we do the, the full character assessment. We have ongoing full scope digital social monitoring. Uh, we assist with social media cleanup, with, which is not what most do. And then I think the most important thing to understand, most of the companies that say they can help you with your social media monitoring are doing it with an algorithm. They have 1,200 keywords they're searching for, and that's it. Unfortunately, nowadays, social media has more to do with photos, memes, etc. You might forward a, you know, retweet a picture that could be racist and say you agree, and a, uh, an algorithm is not going to catch agree because that's a positive word. So we have real people. We have former professional athletes, former Olympians, former intercollegiate athletes. We've got athletic directors, coaches, social media experts, et cetera. They're using their real eyes. They're putting their eyes on the information, uh, and they know what to look for and what to do once it's found. So here's an example. We ran the uh, – there's 580-plus uh, draft prospects for the NFL. We ran it through our, our system uh, just for fun, and – I think every single athlete, if you have five categories of, of concern, maybe it's, you know, racist, maybe it's conduct detrimental, maybe it's legal, uh, maybe it's, you know, derogatory, et cetera. They all seem to have something out there. And wouldn't they want to know what's out there that anybody can find to reflect poorly on them, even if they did it back when they were 12, 13, 14 years old, which is, as you mentioned, we, we've seen happen in the past. So, it's really, uh, it's just leveraging technology and lever- leveraging people to provide something that's positive and uh, I guess makes the family feel like they're under control, makes the athletes feel like they've got their identity protected and even protecting the institutions. Awesome. Sounds it, very right? cool. I mean, and you sounds can, you can give that's... us some examples of players or politicians or business people that say something stupid and man, they're out of there. No question. Sounds very cool, Brian. Uh, that's a cool thing to be involved in. Really appreciate the time. Great to catch up. Great to hear a little bit about punting and the famous broken nose story. Insane. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, buddy. Appreciate it. I mentioned earlier about Raycon earbuds. Look, everybody I know has Raycon earbuds at this point because of a bunch of different reasons. Number one, 24-hour battery life. 24-hour battery life. I've told you guys a million times that my employees for Go Big Recruiting, they have them in when they're making calls to college coaches and to families. Plus, they come in a range of cool colors, customizable gel tips. Look, my wife, when she's doing a conference call, she has her Raycon earbuds in. It's amazing. That's the key. Working out or working. Either way, your Raycon earbuds should be in. Raycon's offering 15% off all their products for my listeners. And here's all you got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash Tucker. There you'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. And it's such a good deal. You'll want to grab a pair and a spare because you know what happens with earbuds people lose them all the time you got to make sure you have an extra that's 15 percent off at buy raycon 
Raycon.com slash Tucker. Buyraycon.com slash Tucker. Tuck's Takes. All right, Ross, let's get started with the big trade. Julio Jones and a 2023 sixth-round pick gets sent to the Tennessee Titans in exchange for a second-round pick in 2022 and a fourth in 2023. You know, it's such an interesting trade, Bri, on so many levels. You know, we've talked about it with Greg Cosell, and we're going to have Greg Cosell on Friday's show this week. But we've talked about Julio Jones with Greg quite a bit and you know the reverence that Greg has for what Julio's accomplished I mean a lot of people will tell you he's probably been the best receiver in the NFL over the last decade that he's been with the Atlanta Falcons that said the more you read about it the more you hear about it it seems like Julio really kind of wanted out so it was a combination of him not really loving being in Atlanta anymore and the Falcons having salary cap issues and being willing to move on. And they were able to get out from his $15.3 million fully guaranteed salary this year. He had a couple million guaranteed next year. So the Falcons like the fact that they don't have that financial obligation anymore. And I think that they believe, and this is just my opinion, I don't know this, I think that they believe with his combination of size and injuries, I just think that they think his best years are behind him. In other words, I think if the Falcons really thought Julio was going to produce like he used to, I'm not sure they make this trade. I, I think that they believe that he is on the decline. Obviously, the Titans feel differently. And if the Titans are right, man, they got to steal. I mean, if they get the full Julio for the next two or three years, this trade was well worth it. However, one of the other things that's interesting about this is there are people that believe Julio wants a new contract and that if this year goes well, he wants him to rip up the last two years and give him a new deal. And the Falcons have kind of already been through that with Julio and they didn't want to do it again. So there's just like a lot of different factors at play here and why there wasn't perhaps as much interest in a trade for Julio Jones as you would think there would be. Now, of course, I say that, and when he's having big games this season, everybody's going to say that the rest of the NFL was idiots for not doing the trade the Titans did. Tuck's takes. Let's get to the Baltimore Ravens. Team signed running back Gus Edwards. Two years, $10 million. And free agent tackle Juwan James. Two years, $3.5 million. Well, so Gus Edwards was a restricted free agent, and I really like this move by the Ravens. I, I, I'm a huge Gus Edwards fan. That guy is a hammer. That guy is a rolling ball of butcher knives. He's always going forward. He's a perfect fit, perfect fit for their offense. And I think to lock him up for the next two years for $10 million was worth it for the Ravens to make sure they have that compliment to J.K. Dobbins. They are a running team. Make sure you have your guys that that bring the thunder like Gus Edwards does. And then the Jawan James is really interesting because he was in the news, Brian, for a couple reasons. I mean, number one, he filed a grievance against the NFL and the Broncos 
for the 15 million fully guaranteed that he's losing as a result of, you know, the injury, the torn Achilles he suffered while rehabbing, not rehabbing, while working out away from the Broncos facility. So he's going after that 15 million. In the meantime, the Ravens are essentially giving him 500 grand this year, fully guaranteed, just for the right to have him next year for three million and rehab him, have him come back, rehab him back from this torn Achilles. So for Juwan James, it's like, hey, you're gonna give me extra 500. I didn't know what I was gonna get. I'll do it. Plus, nobody's gonna give me more than that for next year anyway. It would be a one-year prove-it deal. So why not get the money now and have some guarantee? Who knows what'll happen? And then next year I got to do a one-year prove-it anyway. And the Ravens are kind of just getting ahead of the game on that. Really interesting. Tucks takes. Some other transactions include the Seahawks signing punter Michael Dixon to an extension and the Minnesota Vikings signed cornerback Bashad Breland. The Minnesota Vikings. By the way, um, big punter day here. I mean, I know there's another show out there that talks about punters a lot, but big punter day here today on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Dixon got, he's getting over $10 million in the next two years. Wow. You know who loves to pay punters a lot of money? Defensive-minded head coaches. They love punters. Defensive-minded head coaches love punters because of what they do. They flip the field. They pin them deep. You don't see that as often from offensive-minded head coaches. They don't have the same affinity for punters. It's kind of funny if you watch it. And then Breland, the Minnesota Vikings, you know, he's a guy that it seems like a lot of teams always want, but also people are always willing to move on from. He's had almost a uh, – I mean, he's had a better career than, like, me or Cassius Marsh. He's made more money. But he's a guy that switches teams a lot for a guy with his ability. Ducks takes. Two more quick items. First, uh, a few NFL coaches set to lose their Tier 1 status because they refused to get vaccinated. And the other bit of news, former Giants head coach Jim Fassel passed away at the age of 71. Sad news on Fossil. You know, it's interesting. I feel like the older I get, and this is probably natural, but 71 sounds really young to me now. My parents are both 71. You know, I, I guess you get to an age where 71 just, when I was younger, 71 seemed really old. Now that I'm 42, 71 doesn't seem nearly as old in my mind. So just interesting. And obviously, um, condolences to the, the Fossil family. I actually know his son, Mike, pretty well, who used to work at Princeton. Uh, in the football department. And as far as the tier one status, I don't know how you have those guys as coaches. I don't, I mean, if they really can't be on the field with the players, how, how do you keep them as coaches? But I guess you can't fire them because then it would be clear you're firing them because of their refusal or deciding not to get the vaccine. And you can't fire someone for not getting the vaccine. It's a weird thing, right? I mean, you have to have somebody coach the position. You can't have a running back coach who's just in his office all the time. Like, you got to be out there on the field. But he's not allowed to be around the players in the meetings or on the – I'm totally confused as to what these teams are going to do. It's like 
they can't fire the guys, but they need to hire somebody else to be on the field with them who's vaccinated. It's a fascinating, fascinating deal. It really is. Uh, DraftKings, by the way, another ridiculous NBA deal, another ridiculous UFC deal this week. Just use the code Ross. All you have to do, I know a lot of you already have the app. If you don't, just go on the app, look up their UFC deal, look up their NBA playoffs deal. It's crazy. Just use the code Ross so that you get it, so that you get the special deal. Shout out to Pizza Boy Brewing, Sporticulture, Vision Comics with an X, HumanHeadNYC.com. Shout out to Todd Pierce, one of our listeners. He was amazing on the Even Money podcast yesterday. You guys have got to check that out. It was amazing. Today on the Fantasy Feast podcast, we're talking, speaking of uh, those kind of things, rookie of the year odds, rookie props with Tom Brawley from Fantasy Points. That was awesome. We'll have Greg in a couple days. Other than that, I think we're done here. Thanks for listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Fantasy Feast, Even Money, Business of Sports, and College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. A lot of times on the show, I mentioned DraftKings. Here's what you need to know. You got to be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. By the way, if what I was talking about included a deposit bonus, doesn't always. Sometimes it does. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough, and deposit bonuses are paid out in site credit. 